No pressure. All right, gentlemen. We're we're on. Matt, were you able to listen to the podcast that Kirk and I did a few months ago? I did, yeah. It was a good podcast. I listened to it like eight times. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm just kidding. I just listened to it once. <laughs> he knows more about it than we do. <laughs> I was like, man, I haven't listened to it for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to go back and listen because I don't catch everything that we talk about. Right. So, because I'm, I'm kind of thinking sometimes, like, what do I ask next or how to keep the conversation going? Yeah, you never do. And so I miss, I miss a lot. But we can definitely go over some of the stuff that we, we did talk about and just uh, re, rehash some stuff out. And anything that you guys are passionate about is always yeah. something that the world could use. So, well, maybe. I don't want to say yeah. always. But, Kirk, we appreciate you coming up. You're going to be doing, what are you going to be doing tomorrow? So we're just going to work on some basic mechanics with uh, rifle and pistol. Uh, so we'll be doing a course here, uh, about half dry fire, half live fire. And uh, kind of the mentality behind it is building the building blocks to, to be successful. When I uh, used to instruct for the Special Forces, um, one of the things that I was really big on is weapons manipulation, uh, just because... Um, it's one thing to be able to shoot real fast, but if you can't keep your firearms running, yeah, you know you're you're, you're flashing the pan because those thirty rounds go pretty quick. Um, so just being able to to react appropriately to malfunctions, to you know to any kind of stoppage, and get get those those firearms ready to go is really important in a tactical sense. But in a competition sense, you know, they're, they're so important because you're on a clock and yeah. in certain types of competitions, you know, it comes down to tenths of seconds between first and second. So having those solid, solid fundamentals and procedures down is, is paramount. Yeah. There's very little that's more annoying than being in the middle of a match <clears throat> and Having something happen that was completely preventable right. that adds to your time. Right. Yeah. Uh, like the guys who, who load or think they load. Yeah. <laughs> and then pull the trigger and get a click and the magazine falls out. And yeah. It's like, man, I wish I had that uh, start over again. Yeah. I wish yeah. I could say that's never happened. <clears throat> yeah. It definitely has. Yeah. Most people who have uh, shot a bit have, have had things like that happen. Yeah. Matt, have you had any anything like that in the tactical yeah, games? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and and it, I've got some bad habits that I do when I have a you know a malfunction or something. I'll kind of stop and, you know, last time when I took a class with Kirk, we, you know, there's a procedure you do when that happens. You don't just stare and look at your gun for a few minutes and then, you know, you slam your magazine, you re-rack it, and you go again. You know, you, you don't have to take forever to do it. But if you're not, if you haven't practiced that, if you haven't trained that, you're, you know, it frazzles your mind. So there's a procedure for that. Plus that, you know, when you, you know, like Kirk was saying, the more you do it, the more you shoot, the more you realize that these things happen. It's just sometimes you don't get it right. Sometimes you don't load it right. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes your ammunition was made by the lowest bidder and. It doesn't go bang reliably. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to have the procedures down, and they they really need to be in that subconscious so you're not having to think about it in the moment. You squeeze the trigger, it went click. What do you do, you know? Yeah. It needs to happen. One of my first tactical games was in Price, Utah, 
and there was this course where you're you're in your vest your belt ar and a rucksack on top of it and it started off with 30 rounds and i want to say it was five places that you go and shoot and six rounds each yep and they were longer and longer distances right my first shot goes bang and then i go to shoot again and it clicks i'm like "Uh oh i mean what's going on so uh take out the magazine re-rack it put in a new one click or not a new one but you know the same magazine yeah and uh i ended up missing all 30 rounds i might have hit that first one but 29 rounds Mm -hmm. missed and i had a magazine failure the the chaser the The follower yeah the follower got stuck at the very bottom of the magazine and just wouldn't and my fault because i didn't go test out all the magazines at 30 rounds yeah I'm like, man, that's uh, 300 seconds added on to my time. Yeah. So. You know, I'm not, I'm not a huge brand snob a lot of the time. And I, but magazines are one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of a snob on. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a big believer in P-Mags. Yeah. You know, uh, there are some other ones that are good, but the Magpul P-Mags yeah. don't seem to fail very often. Yeah. Whereas I've seen a lot of other brands. And they're not very expensive either. No, they're they're not. Yeah. Yeah. I think think I've got about, I don't know, 20 or 30 of those. Yeah. Don't say too much on the I mean, I I have several (laughs) of those. (laughs) (laughs) I was using it. It was a newer brand, and they were local, so I just thought, hey, let's support these guys. And I wouldn't have told anyone who the brand was until they rectified it. They came out with these new ones, and they're like, hey, go take these out, test them, run them through the mill. So yeah. I did, and then I've used those yeah. every one since, and no, it's they're good. A, a Men Two. Oh, okay, it's yeah, out yeah. Of Falls. So their yeah. first iteration, not great. Their second iteration, yeah. better. This Mod Three that they have is great. Yeah, they're making some cool stuff now. Yeah, yeah. and they do a monthly subscription that you get cool looking, cool looking ones that they've seracoded. There you go. So, <laughs> and that's a big part of it. Look cool. Yeah, that, you know, that's never get if lost. If I can't shoot well, I've got to look good. Yeah, yeah, look good. <laughs> never get lost. If you get lost, look good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as an Army Ranger, did you do, speaking of getting lost, did you guys do a lot of? So I was never a Ranger. Oh, I'm sorry. So I, I didn't go through Ranger school, and I did not uh, spend any time in Ranger Battalion. So most of my time was, was SF. Oh, okay. Okay. As, so in SF, did you guys do a lot of mapping and compass work? and? So that's a huge portion of our selection process is uh, land navigation. Um, and, and man, I, I had some experiences with it because I, I went through selection as a very new soldier, you know. Um, back in the day, you used to have to have like four or five years before you could even entertain going to uh, selection. Yeah. Um, but I, w- I had like six months. And a lot of the guys didn't like that. You know, they were like, I've been in four, six years, you know, and what makes you think you should be here? And I'm like, my recruiter told me I could, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, so um, I wasn't cocky about it. I, I understood where they were coming from yeah. and I just went out and tried to do my best. But land navigation beat me up pretty bad in selection. Uh, you have to do it with your rock on. You've got a, a rubber duck that you're carrying a, a a fake rifle so you're all kitted out and we were carrying 65 pounds in our rucks um, plus water plus our rifle and all that and having to navigate 
at night, you know, in the pitch dark, we, we couldn't be seen. You know, they, they wouldn't allow us to run on roads. That was an immediate honor code violation. Okay. Um, so you had to be out in the woods. And, man, North Carolina, it's got pretty good vegetation. It was dark. <laughs> it was dark. Um, so you're, you're just working off your, your military compass and what you remember from mapping and planning your route. We'd have to cover up with, you know, two poncho liners and use a red lens flashlight oh, okay. to like, plan our route at night. And then you'd put that stuff all away and take off on your route. And, um, it, was, it was a lot. And just like everything else, if you follow the fundamentals that they teach you, you're going to be good. If you get cocky and think that you can dead reckon seven clicks, 7,000 meters at night, you're probably going to have a bad night. And I had a bad night one night. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up walking a lot of extra distance because my compass broke and I didn't know it. Oh. Until I was, I don't know if I was looking good. I probably broke both rules. I was lost and not looking cool. <laughs> Yeah, so we did. We did a lot, um, a lot in training, and then uh, you know it became very important uh, in operations and uh, you know in training things that I did later on, knowing how to navigate through through jungles, in the desert, all those places is is really important. It's a lost art now. Now you just pull out your iPhone and go to town, but that, maybe that's not always a good thing. No, it, and and it's nice having satellites, but. Uh, the thing that most people don't realize is there are places where satellites, you can't get a signal. You know, I've, I've run into two situations where I got in trouble expecting my GPS to work. Um, one time was hunting and we had just an incredibly thick fog roll in and it couldn't penetrate, you know, and it just didn't, didn't have a signal and it was thick. Um, didn't have a signal and I could, I was just like, I think it's that way, Yeah, you know. You get disoriented anyway in the yeah. fog, even if you're, yeah, even um, if you've been there before. Yeah, and and it ended up we pulled out a compass and we're like, oh yeah, it's that way. And we, you know, used a compass. Um, it's cool you had a compass. The old yeah, compass yeah, method, yeah. huh? The old compass method. It worked <laughs> out, you know, where the GPS failed me. And the other time was in, uh, in in Korea. You're sometimes down in these deep valleys, and the the angle of angle of all those satellites is too low. And so you can't get a signal. And you're just like, man, pull out the paper and the compass again and see where we're at, you know, and, and use those those uh, lost arts of, you know, resection and, you, you know, just regular land navigation. That'd be a fun thing to, to do sometime in the summer. Yeah. Do summer. a little course. Not yeah. this winter, not Le right now. Yeah. Not <laughs> now's, now's the time to stay indoors and, and think about doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that there, there are some competitions out there that, that still make people land navigate, you know, um, and that's one of the things that is, is a skill that everybody should have. We should all know how to read a map. Uh, in my opinion, we should know how to read a map. You should be able to orient that map, you know, know which way is north you know, with the aid of a compass or not, and just be able to kind of plan a route. And it, there's there's ways to do it that aren't that complicated. The military's got a really great system. Not all civilian maps have the military grid reference system on it, but you can still use 
your map and compass and basic knowledge to get where you need to go. You know, so on this podcast, we don't steer clear of <laughs> of good conspiracies, and uh, I would. I, it's possible that, you know, we may not always be able to use electronics to uh, to do what we're doing, possibly in the near future. That's so. why I do ham radio. Yeah, well, when we got I on mean. here and you said Breaker 1-9, I was like, it <laughs> probably brings Matt right back to his basement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who runs all that stuff? And, and, you know, if we ever got in a real conflict with a peer, there are a number of them that have the capability of eliminating satellites yep. and that would change that would change the way we do business day to day yeah uh in in ways that most of us don't realize I, I mean you guys are all pretty much the same age as me but i remember when i when i took off to go to the go to my military training i drove across the country in a in a Jeep Cherokee with an atlas, you know, um, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. I didn't have a GPS. I don't know how I did it. Like to to this day, I'm like, man, how did I make it? Yeah, you know? I did the same. I did similar things. I'd fly to. I used to do auditions for music, and I'd fly somewhere, land, get a rental car, and they'd give you a map. Sir, would you like a map with that? Yeah. Yes. And that that's Please. what you had, or else I'd go to the first gas station I saw and buy a map of the area. Right. And then just. I don't know how I did it either. I probably couldn't do it. Yeah. No. Yeah. I saw a major media article the other day, and it talked about our government saying the possibility of using an EMP to protect its people. And I was like, man, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't. I like. I don't put things. I don't put anything past anybody anymore. You know, like you see articles like that, and you're like, somebody out there has the idea of we should probably EMP our people to help them. Yeah, I'm trying to think how that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it would be helpful. You know? It probably wouldn't. I just see it come out. Someone like, could someone use it as an excuse. Someone. I'm doing this for your own good. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of <laughs> bad done this. for your own good. Yeah. Like, like, there's been a lot of bad things happen for your own good um, in, in this, this world's history. Yeah. You know, for the greater good and for your own good. Yeah. There's been a lot of bad things that have happened. For your own safety. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, man, I... I just thinking about that though you know because like emps will wipe out any electronics yeah you know what do you have that doesn't run on electronics today yeah not much and we all need to get i mean you're, what about your red dot site your red dot site gonna work anymore you know you can put them in like a faraday bag or something right yeah. i don't know how well those actually work they've never been they, yes yeah, and really they, they don't know exactly what an emp would do from what i've you know, red, it could, you know, fry 60% of the electronics or pass over some, or if you're in a basement, it might not get it as bad or, you know, yeah. who knows? So we all I don't want to find out. 1960s yeah. trucks. Yeah. Old, old stuff. Need to learn how to shoot iron sights again. Yeah. <laughs> I can shoot some iron sights. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you, do, do you shoot iron sights or in, when you've competed, do you shoot red dot? So, Okay. When I first started competing, I started, I, so I started competing because I was an instructor in the Special Forces, right? And I realized that I was a fish in a small pond, right? And I would, I would frequently look for content that would help me improve my game, you know, because everything I was doing was life or death. Right. If I didn't give the guys that I was training the best training that they could that I could provide them, 
I was sending them out to life, de life or death situations less prepared than they should be, right? So that, that's how I approached training in, in, in that capacity. And so I was constantly researching and I was reading articles, I was talking to people and I was, you know, YouTubing the heck out of, you know, shooting sports. And it became very clear really fast when I watched guys like Jerry Michalek and, 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 you know, some of those old school shooters uh, that they were kind of way ahead of where I was, right? And so I said, man, how am I going to take my game to that point? And I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, so I, I said, hey, I'm going to go try some competitions. You know, it's just another opportunity for me to train. The first one I went to was a local three-gun match. It was specifically for law enforcement and military. It was a Dugway Proving Grounds. I showed up thinking, yeah, like literally I went and drew a combat shotgun from our supply room and I had my, my issued gear, right? Yeah. So I showed up with a basic M4, a Glock 19 pistol, stock Glock 19 pistol, and uh, a Benelli M4. And I thought I was going to be okay. I was the second shooter at the very beginning of the day. The guy ahead of me was actually a pretty solid three-gun shooter. Three, he was a police officer, but he was a very good competitive three-gun shooter. He walked up, and it was the first time I had seen a quad load. And I was like, how many shells did he just put in that shotgun? Yeah. And they were like, nine. And I'm just like, <laughs> he did it in like three and a half seconds. What the heck just happened? It takes me like a minute to load nine shells in that Benelli M4, right? And I'm just like, I am in trouble. And yeah, those, the pistol stage went well that day. The rifle shotgun pistol stages did not go well. <laughs> you know? So I did not end up winning that. Um, and it just reinforced kind of what I had, I had thought that maybe I was, you know, just, just another fish in a small pond, right? So then I, then I kind of was like, well, maybe I need to shoot some more competitions. And then it became uh, possible for me to go shoot in a military competition, right? Because the, the U.S. Army and the Marine Corps and the Navy, they all have a competitive marksmanship program. They're all different. Um, and through those programs, you can compete to get what's called your distinguished badges. And uh, civilians also can compete to get their distinguished badges. It's, it's, a, it's a process. It's not something you go and get in one match. Uh, if you're very, very, very good, you get it in like four matches. Okay. If you're very good. And you've got to perform at the highest level to get that award. Yeah. Um, so I went out and I, I competed in a regional military match. And you have to shoot standard rack grade uh, rifles and pistols. Yeah. Um, and they have to be army standard. They, they can't be like special operations st standard. Like, so that's what I was used to, you know? So yeah. like I have my slightly cooler stuff than the average dude did. Um, but I showed up and <clears throat> they told me, Hey, you can't use that, that pistol you've got, you can't use a Glock 19. You got to shoot a, a Beretta M9. Yeah. So pick a Beretta M9 that you've never shot and go, go to the line and compete with it. Um, Consequently, that was the highest score I ever got in that match. Interesting. <laughs> you know, like, I, um, and I didn't know anything about the 
distinguished badge, right? But then the rifle was the complete opposite. They're like, hey, you can't shoot any optics. You got to shoot iron sights. Um, and that was a train wreck, complete train wreck. I thought, you know, I was a pretty good shot and uh, I got absolutely crushed by dudes shooting A2s, you know, from the California National Guard, like a cook and a, and a mechanic and stuff. And I'm just, I walked out of there and I was like, man, alive, you know, I got hammered. And so I spent the next couple of years really learning, uh, you know, taking some of the skills I had learned in, in things like sniper school and, and, and stuff uh, in, in special forces and applying that to other skill sets and slowly but surely learned how to compete in that arena and it made me a far better rifle shooter you know shooting those those iron sights again um because when i started competing you had to shoot iron sights for for the excellence in competition matches okay um you could shoot other sites other standard military sites for other matches but for the excellence in competition and for the national match it had to be iron sights um and so what what is that the the excellence in competition it's uh it starts out the 400 yard line you shoot 10 rounds from the prone at the 400 yard line and your goal is to hit a target that's about the size of a deck of playing cards wow. right now you got a full uh, a full 20 by by what is it 20 by 40 target but it's scoring rings right so your goal is to get a 5 and that's like the size of a deck of playing cards from 400 yards. And then the four is, you know, I can't remember the exact di d dimensions anymore. I could have told you when I was competing, but now, um, and it goes all the way down to two. You know, so if you just hit the target, that's a two. Well, in standard army qualification, if you just hit the target, that's good enough. You know, it, you could just nick it. But now you're shooting competition and you're trying to get, you're trying to outscore everybody. It's a different animal. Yeah. Um, so you'd shoot 400 yards, 10 rounds at 400 yards, then you'd move up to 300, and you'd shoot 10 rounds at 300, then you'd move up to 200, and you'd shoot 10 rounds at 200, but they had to be from a kneeling position. And then you'd move up to the 100, and you'd shoot five rounds from standing, five rounds from kneeling, uh, on five rounds on two different targets, and then you had 10 rounds from the 75 to the 25, so 75, 50, and 25, and you had to put five rounds on two targets. You had four seconds at 75 to shoot as many rounds as you could. Okay. You had three seconds at 50 to shoot as many rounds as you could. And then you had two seconds at 25 to get the rest off. Right? And it was on, it was on two targets. So, you know, if you only shot four shots, you had to get six in two seconds on two different targets. Oh, okay. You know? So um, that, was, that was the excellence in competition match. And uh, I learned a lot of marksmanship fundamentals with rifle in the process of, you know, kind of chasing that badge. Um, it's kind of like Napoleon said, men have been known to do very a, a lot for just scraps of ribbon and metal. Um, and so I spent a lot of time kind of chasing that goal and luckily managed to pull off both my excellence, my my distinguished badge in rifle and pistol. The pistol came quickly. The rifle took me a while, and it was actually my last match that I shot. I didn't know it was going to be my last match. I thought I had another year, but uh, uh, COVID nineteen wrecked my last year. Ruined everything. Yeah, it really did. It 
it ruined my last year of competition shooting in the army. But um, yeah, those so. are like to me, those are insane distances. Four hundred yeah, yards. Yeah, see how that's possible. Sights. Yeah. Oh, it's it's totally possible. It's, well, I mean, I believe it, but but yeah, possible for you, <laughs> yeah. possible for me, very different things. Oh, no, it's possible. It's just you know, it's learning the the principles and and where to focus, and you know, just trusting the process, um, and then, but that's the the thing is, is the national match, which is a civilian equivalent match, they shoot six hundred. Oh wow! And now they're shooting big bullseyes, but it's still. You know, your, your your bullseye is still only 10 inches. Yeah. You know, or no, it's six inches. It's 600 yards is six inches. So it's one minute of angle, roughly. Um, and so there's, they shoot that. And, uh, you know, they it, up until, oh, man, it's probably been probably 2019 or 18 is when they made the change to where they could use optics. Up until okay. that point, it was, it was iron sights only and they were shooting 600 so is there some type of holdover that you learn i mean i that's how little i know about iron sights so okay and yes you'd have to hold over a lot um but in competition the iron sights on an m16 rifle they have a rear dial which adjusts the elevation of the rear sight right so you would actually dial for elevation okay this way you, yeah. you dial this way. They're like, he's lying. That's windage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you dial this way for windage. But that's what we would do. We would actually, you know, like I said, I started applying things that I had learned from sniper school to that competition. In sniper school, when I went through, we would dial for elevation and hold for wind, right? So we would always dial up, you know, so if that bullet's going to drop 30, 30 inches, you know, at at. 300 yards or something like that you dial 10 minutes of angle on your scope yeah we used minutes of angle when i went through on that old um uh and then we would read our winds and figure out our wind hold and we would hold that on the on the horizontal line of the reticle um that's hard to do with iron sights so i would dial my my windage holds on my iron sights as well um and it worked out pretty well but you had to be real conscious because when winds would shift and you'd have to adjust oh, yeah. on the fly you know so that'd be fun to take some iron sight courses just to learn it like same thing that fun okay. those fundamentals you say when okay <laughs> we'll do it you know there's too much cool stuff in life yeah you, you that's that's not one, yeah that's not one of the things that most people would consider cool that's that's one of the things that like that's a fundamental that's that's not a that's that's not sexy yeah. by today's standards that's just you know and and that's the weird thing like as an instructor you know there's there's like this this group of instructors that are like entertainers and their product is all about looking really flashy and cool and we're gonna make you an operator and you're gonna be so awesome and and like come train with us and you'll be an operator and they've got all these flashy cool time standards and like badges and stuff that you can try to get and people will go and take their class multiple times chasing after this coin and or this badge or or you know whatever the case may be but then you go work with those people and you see them compete or you see them on the range and you're like fundamentally you're not strong 
You yeah. know, like you're you're very weak fundamentally. What are you learning? And it, like they're chasing this this cool thing instead of improving, you know, and and that's that's really kind of frustrating. And and, and I see a lot of guys doing that. And there there uh, there are very few instructors out there that are really teaching the basics and fundamentals and really making sure that their students are growing. Like you took a class with me, like we didn't work on like shooting and moving and running It was not around. sexy at all. Nothing sexy at all. <laughs> but, but, but I thought you were It, it was fun. You're shooting. I'm, I'm shooting way better now. Yeah. That's so. cool. Well, and when emotion goes up, intelligence goes down. That's something that runs through my mind quite often. <laughs> so, you know, you, you don't have those fundamentals. So whether it's in competition or whether it's in combat, and all of a sudden that emotion goes up and you don't have anything to fall back on. Right. What have you learned? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's trying to get those, those procedures into a subconscious level. Right, and you have to just practice them and practice them. So let's let's talk about a guy in the tactical games that embodies this perfectly. Um, so uh, the first time I saw this guy, fitness was on point because he'd been doing fitness forever. His shooting was not on point. He was he, I think he thought maybe he was going to be a little better, um, and was going to be able to make up for his lack of shooting. And I don't think he expected others to shoot to the level that they did. But like Jacob Hepner, his first time was probably in that same event that you're talking about. Yeah, the yeah. price. Yeah, I think it's the first time I met him. Yeah, yeah. and like great dude, um, great guy, but uh, came out and really struggled with the shooting. And man, he went on a mission after that. Yeah. And he's done a really good job of posting his progression. Like he, he's one of the few guys that will you know, shoot a drill and then, hey, let's go look at the target. You know, like you see a lot of guys on Instagram shoot and then, you know, let's, that <laughs> was awesome. Know, yeah. That was a, that was, a that one was really point, fast. 1.2, you know, <laughs> that was a 1.2 build drill. And you're like, that's cool. What did it look like in there? <laughs> Cut. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like awesome. I never even saw what you were shooting at, you know, but, uh, you know, Jacob would always go up and look at his target and, show you you know show you what he was shooting at oh wow you know i had seven off and three on that's great you know and, and but what he did is he took his crossfit and his fitness background and applied it to training in firearms and and like jacob is very um like his his program used to be called grit right and, and his stuff is all about just like doing the basics and doing them really well and just grinding and just creating some grit. And so that's what he did. He, he dry fired extensively and he studied the proper procedures and techniques to do things. And, you know, a lot of people will say, man, he, he made this huge improvement in a very short amount of time. And he did because right now he is fantastic. Like he's a very good shooter and he's, there's he's closing the holes in his game very quickly right and um he has gotten to where i would honestly say he is in the top three shooters well, i'd say probably he's definitely the top five of all shooters in the tactical games wow. of all divisions you know 
if you took all the shooters in the tachograms and threw them together, I'd put him in the top five. Um, and it's because he has just really worked the fundamentals and basics. He sought out subject matter experts um, and he trains religiously. He shoots yeah. every day. He, he dry fires every day, just like he, he's treated it just like his CrossFit and his uh, fitness routine, just like his diet. It's another thing that he does with absolute discipline. So it's paid off and it shows, you know. That's something we can all aspire to. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. And it's something that we all can do. That's what's yeah. cool about it. Can we improve that quickly? Possibly, maybe not. But yeah. we can improve. Yeah. I mean, he's got some things going for him. He's a fantastic athlete. He has outstanding body awareness and kinesthetics and all that stuff. So he's, he's like very he's, – he's, he's a specimen. But at the same time, it's really his work ethic that sets him apart. And, grit. and he'll tell you that he'll say, you know, I'm actually not that athletic, which is a lie. But, <laughs> but uh, um, says someone who went to the tactics yeah. to the CrossFit game several times. Yeah, no, I'm not that. Yeah, <laughs> but but he'll tell you he just he outworks most people. Yeah, and and he does work hard. So, and that's very respectable. Yeah, for sure. So, this is probably an answerable question more individually, but. W- someone who is aspiring to shoot better in the tactical games and take that to competition uh what are you looking for as far as hours per day dry firing or hours per week dry firing versus live fire you know um i believe in quality versus quantity so if you and and really if you're someone who is working two jobs and you know has to fit in their fitness and has a family and all that you're not going to be able to dedicate three hours a day to yeah. to to dry fire but there are very few of us in this world who can't dedicate 20 minutes a day to something other than social media or watching tv um so and and it's one of those things where it all adds up if you can if you can go do 20 minutes a day of dry fire you're going to you know really quickly that adds up to you know two plus hours a week of of working and it all starts to add up i would rather see somebody do 20 minutes a day than two hours once a week yeah that makes Um, sense because most people can't focus that long you know most people they're going to stop really paying attention. They're going to stop holding themselves accountable. But 20 minutes, you can you can say, hey, all right, cool. I just got home from work. I need to, like, calm down or something. You stop in the garage, and you do quick dry fire practice, quick dry fire session, and then all that crud from work is gone. Yeah. You're, you're relaxed, and you go in, all right, cool. Or maybe you're just humbled again because you <laughs> – you know, you're not hitting those 1.5 second reloads. Darn it. You know. <laughs> 2.5 second reloads. <laughs> 3.5 <laughs> second reloads. Hey, and, and the important thing is, is start where you're at. Start building habits and then let the, let the process happen. You know, let the process happen. And so 
man, 20 minutes a day is gonna, is gonna pay off huge. If you're already doing 20 minutes a day and you're not seeing the results, there's, there's a couple of things, either increase quantity or increase attention. And then there's, there's other, other pieces to go along with that. Um, like, what is it that's holding you back? Is it, uh, is it your attention? Is it your focus? Uh, are you training your nervous system to actually be ready for these, these uh, drills and, and things. Um, so I'm getting ready to actually start a master's degree program in sports performance psychology, right? And I'm, I'm excited and nervous about it because I haven't gone to school for a while and you know, graduate school is kind of scary to me. Um, so here we go. But uh, one of the things I started doing when I was competing and when I was struggling with the rifle competitions is I actually started working with a sports performance psychologist. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is, you know, back then I thought psychology was kind of a stupid science. You know, it was like it's kind of a fake made up science. Yeah. You know, it's not the real thing. You know, you can't see it. You know? <laughs> um, but it had a profound improvement on my performance, you know. And, you know, we all know that power of positivity and all of this stuff but it's so much more than just that um and so are you seeking out improving your mental game too you know it's it's a it's a big piece yeah um are you are you training your nervous system are you training yourself mentally do you have a mental management program when you step into your dry fire such scenarios um i remember one of the things my high school basketball coach did that was kind of cool is he would put us in situations where, you know, he'd be like, at the end of practice, you're tired. And he'd be like, all right, put it up on the scoreboard and we'd be down like, we'd be down two points with three seconds to go. And we had to inbound the ball and get it down there and get a good shot, right? And he'd put us in scenarios like that at the end of practice after, at the end of really emotional, really hard practices. And he'd be like, all right, guys, here's the scenario. And if you, if you missed the shot, you're doing hard eights, you know, nobody wanted to do hard eights, you know? So like there was, there was something on the line. So it was, I don't know if he knew what he was doing, but he was putting us in an emotional situation to where it was simulating a, a game situation. So it would take you to that same arousal state that you would be experiencing in a game situation. And then you know, when we actually got in that position, we'd already been there. Yeah. So it was familiar and we knew how to perform in that. So being able to put yourself in those kind of scenarios as well. So <clears throat> the question is actually huge and we can go on and on about it, but there's, there's been some conversations in the tactical games a number of times. How much should we be doing just firearms practice you know like should we go to the range and just shoot or should we be going to the range and doing like simulated tactical games stages right yeah. fitness and shooting and the argument has gone back and forth and some guys are like hey no you just need to go learn to do fundamental marksmanship and really if you're a new shooter yes get get the fundamentals if you're uh, a shooter that's been shooting for a long time, continue to practice your fundamentals. 
They, they, they don't ever go away. Continue to practice them. Uh, they are perishable as well, you know, so continue to practice them. But <clears throat> there is a difference in types of training. So there's, there's like exploring training where you're exploring your capabilities, you're, you're, you're building new capabilities, and then there's exploiting, right? And in exploiting, you're taking those capabilities you've been working on and you're applying them to a scenario. So like you think about jujitsu, you go to a class and you, you do your flow drills and stuff like that. And you do your, your technique drills. And then you go to a tournament. Now you're exploiting those skills, right? Um, you know, you're doing your, you're doing uh, like basic, basic, uh, was it bars and stuff like that? And <laughs> yeah. Scales and yeah, things. scales exercises. Yeah, scale exercises yeah. and things like that. And then you apply them, you ex you exploit them by pl playing them in a mm -hmm. piece of music. Yeah, right. You're never going to be a, a concert anything if you don't practice exploiting those skills. You can mm -hmm. you can play scales all day, the most beautiful scales ever. But if you can't put them into practice. They are useless. Same thing with being able to do a one-second reload. Great. You can stand still, do a one-second reload, but you've never put it into a scenario where yeah. I just shot five rounds, I have ten rounds in my next position, I have to think through this, you know, I have a 15-round magazine. If I don't do a magazine change between here and there, I'm going to go to slide lock, and then I have to do a slide lock reload between here and there, you know? Um, or I can rip off that awesome one-second reload in the five steps it takes me to get to there. The gun is up and ready to rock as soon as I hit that position. I clear those 10 shots, and now I have a decision to make. Do I want to reload before I get to that next position again, or do I ride the lightning and hopefully get, you know, get those next six shots on target, Yeah, you know? So that's what I love about competition as well is it, it makes you think about stuff like that and it makes you plan and problem solve. But so how many hours a week, man, it's really, it's really a personal thing. Um, and you start where you're at with what you have and you do the best you can. Um, and if you're starting from zero and just doing magazine changes or draws or you know even holding a firearm up on target is exhausting and you can do 10 minutes of it, start with 10 minutes. And just like everything else, start at the crawl, work up to a block, and then get to a run. And if it's if you get to the point to where you're like, hey, I'm crushing this. And I know another perfect example. Um, there, there's a couple of them in the tactical games who started out at nothing, and now are 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 crushing, you know. And and they started with, man, I don't even know how to load this thing. So I'm just going to work on loading it and getting it on target and being able to squeeze the trigger without jerking it, you yeah. know. And then. <clears throat> slowly worked up so and, and then uh live fire that's a that's a tough one too so you've got a you've got a couple of things that you have to take into consideration 
how much money do you have? Yeah. Or how many sponsors do you have? Probably it's it's a question of how much money you have, you know, because it's not a super cheap sport. Um, a lot of a lot of people will give you a hard answer on this. I, I'm I'm going to dance around it a little bit. Um, a lot of people will tell you a ten to one ratio. So you should do ten times the live fire that you do, or ten times the dry fire that you do live fire. Um, and that may be what you can afford. Maybe you can't even afford that. You know, maybe maybe 200 rounds of ammo a month is is what you can throw down. You know, because it is it is expensive. Yeah. Um, it's coming down a little bit, but they're projecting it to go back up. You know. So hopefully it won't, but uh, there, there's, there's a lot of factors that come into this. Now, if you are one of those people who can only afford 200 rounds, then you really need to have a plan when you go to the range because you can't just go and plink. If you go and plink, you, you're going to stifle your progress. You need to treat it just like you treat the gym. You don't go in the gym and just walk in and one day go, man, I feel like doing some curls over here, and you do some curls, and then you oh, that machine's open, I'm going to go do some leg extensions, and you do some leg extensions, and then you, uh, there's a treadmill over there, so you run on the treadmill and you go home. You're never going to progress like that, right? It's probably better than doing nothing, but you're not really going to progress, right? You don't just go to the jiu-jitsu gym and roll, you yeah. know, roll around <clears> like that. Um, you have to have a plan. You have to, you have to come up with... And, and that plan should be based on what are my goals and where am I at, you know? Uh, and when I, and I'll, t I'll tell people, you know, you have to build the vehicle you want for the race you're going to run. And that's the same thing with firearms training. You've got you've to look at it and say, what do I want to achieve? So tactical games, I would say start off with just basically being able to put the every round you shoot where you want it. Now, you're going to have to evolve if you want to get really good. You're going to have to evolve into an action shooter of, of sorts, too. You can't just shoot stationary anymore. You're not going to shoot everything off of a barricade anymore. Uh, you have to be pretty well-rounded. And, you know, they've, they've announced that you also have to shoot out to 700 now, you know, which is a, a big change. When I started the tactical games, it was out to 300. And then... Last year, it went out to 500, and I had a very sneaking suspicion that I needed data out to 700 for nationals. I was like, there's a, I just, something told me, you know, just honestly, it's because they shot out to seven, they shot over 700 at the TAC-2 gun in, uh, in uh, Nevada. And when I saw that, I'm like, they're going to go to 700 at national, yeah. I guarantee. Put an idea in their mind. They're like, yeah, yeah they're going to do that. I, I saw it, and I was like, they're shooting 700 at nationals. Like, I almost, and, and so I made sure I had that out to 700, and it paid off because the far target was 670 yards. Wow. And I was like, hmm, good guess, you know. So had to had to thread a needle a little bit. That's on pretty that far. Yeah, that yeah. is far. And especially with the... Uh, the, the names left me, but, you know, the one to eight power yeah. scopes that we're using. I mean, for me, I think that's that's far. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so when I went through sniper school, 
this is the funny thing. When I went through sniper school, I went through in like 2000. It was either seven or nine. I can't remember which. We only had 10 powers. Okay. Like that was our max magnification on our scopes was 10 power. And we were, I shot out to 1450, you know, and it was, so it's doable. The, the magnification, it definitely is a tool that is really nice to have. I honestly don't think the, the, the magnification is as important for long range shooting in that aspect as it is for some of the intermediate ranges in the tactical games. Uh, like when they put a target at 300 that has, you know, eighth inch lines demarking, demarcating the outside of the target, right? Yeah. So your scoring zone is only marked by eighth inch lines. That's pretty hard to see at 300 yards mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. Even with 10 power, like eight power, you're not gonna see it. Six, yeah. right out, you know, so. You're shooting at the white thing. <clears throat> yeah, you just, you, <laughs> you need to look on the target and know where your scoring zone is and, and just guess, you know, it's like shooting a USPSA target. You don't, you can't really see your scoring mm -hmm. zones. You just have to know where they are, right? So <clears throat> yeah, having the LPVO is really nice. I do shoot a one to 10 in the tactical games. But even on the long range stage, I didn't turn it all the way up. The targets were big enough. I didn't need to see them. What I needed was a really clear, crisp picture. Yeah. And, and so that I could hold my wins. I guess I have turned magnification way up and have been less successful than dialing it back a little bit. And I don't know if it's that whole aim small, miss small principle. Um, so one of the things you run into, and, and, and there's differences in optics, but if you have a first focal plane scope where your scale is always the same, I would recommend people not turning it all the way up because you lose clarity. When you go all the way to max magnification, you're normally gonna lose some clarity, especially around the edges, but you're not gonna have as crisp a picture as you would if you back it off a power or two. Um, so I shoot the Vortex um, Razor Gen 3 and I backed it off to an eight power on the on the long range stage. I mean, even you shot it lower than that, but I didn't need a super huge picture. I needed a really crisp picture, and I also needed to be able to have a field of view. The yeah. other thing you get when you turn it way up is you you lose field of view, and it's tougher to get on the next target, where um, you have to come out of the scope, get on the next target, line up, which is a good way to do things. Um, so anyways, that's, that's one of the things. If you've got a second focal plane scope, you're kind of stuck at your max power because that's normally where they line up the, the, uh, line up the, um, the BDC or your, or your mills or mints yeah. of angle. That's where the scale matches. <clears throat> now, um, you can do math on it and figure out what percentage you actually have to hold, but that's math, and that's math. I need a chart. Yeah, in the, heat, in the heat of the moment, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's not the best technique, yeah. So backtracking a little bit, Matt, do you have any set dry fire schedules that you're working on? Um, well, yeah, I've got, I've got the one that Kirk did for the tactical games. And it's kind of the old school one. The old school one, yeah. A lot of it, though, I don't 
really understand what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> Could do a better job of coaching her. Not because it's all written down, you know. Yeah. Maybe a video would would help. Yeah, but so, the, a lot of it I do. It does make sense because you you go in different positions. You go in, uh, you know, it's the same it's the same stuff, but from different positions. It's the same stuff from for rifle or for pistol, and so it's, uh, you know, that stuff is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, what I tried to do when I was when I was planning that out is I I tried to make it very sequential and progressive. So it was taking someone from I just bought my first firearm and I want to learn how to use this. So I took it from you know loading to uh, to just getting on target, you know, to drawing and getting on target, to drawing and getting on target, multiple multiple targets, uh, to drawing and getting on target, multiple targets, working in reloads, you know, breaking down the reloads into steps. And then from positions, you know, alternate positions, barricades, uh, and then movement was kind of the last little bit. Um, so. That's that's something that's tough is is doing things sequentially and progressive because we always want to want to get to the goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of treating it like a process, we want to get to that goal. Um, so it is it is useful though. It's it's really good. And I bought one of those um, dry fire mags that resets your trigger for you. Nice. Those are cool because then you can practice pulling the, actually pulling the trigger on multiple targets. Mm-hmm. And so you can practice prepping your trigger on each of those, and that's that's been helpful too. Were you able to get one of those for the the three twenty yeah. for the Legion? Yep. I you told me about it, and I got all excited, and I hopped on there, and I they don't make it for what I'm shooting. Yeah, you're so still pretty new. Is it worth it to still get something like that and just train on another firearm? I mean, it, it, do they transfer? I I would say. Yes, and there there are some people who tell you you know train with a credier trigger. You know if you have like a, a super nice, nice uh, pistol for competition, and then you have like a Glock, you know a standard Glock, train with that. You know to learn your trigger prep. Um, I would definitely, you know like I I shot Glock for years. Yeah. You know, because that's what I, I shot Beretta and then we switched to Glocks and I shot Glocks for years and years. And I, the only pistol I owned was a Glock 19 for the longest time. And then uh, targets started getting a little smaller. So I bought a Glock 34, had a Glock 34 and then Staccato, you know, set me up with a, a Staccato XL. Oh, you don't just wear the Staccato <laughs> shirt? No, I, I mean, I do. <laughs> it's a great looking shirt, but but yeah. Um, yeah. Staccato actually set me up with a with a pistol, and the one that I shot in my in my second national cool. championship, and and it uh, it won two two national championships, and That's then awesome. then the second one won uh, won won the one this year. So I, I've been shooting a staccato for a little while, but I'll tell you, going from a this is the thing I've come to realize about handguns is. There, there is less difference in accuracy of handguns than there is in accuracy of rifles. Like, you, you'll shoot some rifles that, uh, to quote one of my buddies, your target's going to look like rat poop in a drawer. It's just going to it's gonna be everywhere. I can't say it with a North Carolina <laughs> accent, but you can imagine. Um, it's just rat poop in a drawer. The, 
and you can swap out all the ammo you want. You can try everything, and it just will hurt your feelings every day. And you'll you'll be in an abusive relationship, and it will just be very toxic, right? Um, and there's nothing you can do about it because it is the gun. And then you will shoot some rifles that are just like it's almost like it's cheating. You can't miss, and they'll just stack rounds, and and it's great. Pistols, our distances are are typically shorter with pistol. Uh, and you're not going to see that huge variation. You know, one's not going to shoot 10 inches in the, uh, I mean, if you locked it in a vice and yeah. shot it, they're not going to shoot 10 inches and then the next one's going to shoot a quarter inch. Um, most of the major manufacturers are going to be pretty dang close. Uh, but to get the same results out of them takes a lot more mental focus like i can shoot my glock 34 almost i can shoot it as accurately as i can shoot my staccato xl and but in the heat of the moment in the tactical games where i am like really tired it's a lot easier to roll up to the line with a staccato xl and stack rounds than it is to roll up to the line with a with a glock with a stock trigger and do this complete mental switch and go into 10 out of 10 focus and, yeah. and shoot those rounds. Whereas I can roll up with the Staccato XL and go to about a f six out of 10 focus and, yeah. and shoot well. So they're capable. It's just, are you capable? For sure. <laughs> are yeah. you capable of making that switch? Yeah. We have a buddy, Matt Bitter. He mm -hmm. went to Bend, Oregon and shooting a Glock 19 and just, smoked it yeah he did great he, he won the intermediate division and yeah. and it's cool you know he's there with a it's a little bit upgraded glock and then you've got people there with yeah. atlas and staccatos and all of that and oh he he just he puts in the work yeah i will tell you i took a lot of i took a lot of pride for many years out of beating what i would at the time what i would call race guns with a stock Gen 2 Glock 19. Yeah. The guys would get, like, really hurt. And they'd be like, well, so what are you shooting, man? It's a Glock 19. Well, what <laughs> upgrades have you done to it? None. Yeah. Let me... Dang it. Just practiced a lot. What gen is that? It's a Gen 2. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it was the only gun I had. Yeah. So it was the only thing I shot. And then, you know, now I pretty much just shoot my staccatos. Cause, yeah. Because they're smooth. They are smooth. <laughs> they are smooth, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What's the difference between the XC and the XL? The XC is uh, is the ported island barrel. So, and then the XL is the extended barrel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, if I were gonna if I were gonna pick up a another staccato, I would definitely like to get an XC. Yeah. Um, or the uh, CS, the the yeah, subcompact. Yeah, carry one. Oh man, yeah, that's pretty sweet. That's probably the most fun pistol I've shot. In a really. While. Yeah. Okay. I got to shoot it right before it came out. And that one was just, it was fun to shoot. I was like, oh, man, this would be expensive. Because I just <laughs> yeah. want to go shoot it all the time. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. feels your, so good. Your dry fire ratio would change yeah. from yeah, it, it, 10 live fire to one dry fire. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was a lot of fun. But the all of them are just super fun to shoot. Um, and, but that uh, that XC is pretty sweet with the, with the port 
supported island barrel, so your front sight is part of the barrel. Yeah. And it, it doesn't move. Um, but yeah, getting back on target. It was what the, like, like the biggest yeah. thing so that I noticed is, you know, you shoot the Glock 19 and you got to get back on target. Right. And that shooting that XC, it's like it just barely pushes your hand straight back. Yep. You know, there's no barrel yeah. whip. Yeah. Yeah, it's real. It's really pretty sweet. I would, cool. I would love to have one, but um, finances, you know. It's cool. Yeah. Economy. It's cool what they can build. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, it's been an hour. You have to sleep tonight to get your... We all have to sleep tonight. Yeah, we got to get this guy rested up. We're going like, to wear him out tomorrow. Yeah. Sleep is a crutch. <laughs> hey, Jocko. <laughs> David Goggins over here. <laughs> Ran here without a shirt on. With my toenails falling off. Yeah. I'm like, that's I you. Got like eight stress fractures, right? <laughs> no, uh, like we talked earlier, um, you know, if I can't perform tomorrow, I need to look good, which yeah. means I need to sleep. Yeah. So. Uh, no, I just really appreciate both of your, your time. And uh, Matt, I appreciate you setting tomorrow up. It's going to be really yeah. fun. So do he, I. Uh, I told him I'd go, and then about a week ago he texted. He's like, you going, right? I go, yeah, I'll go sign up. I, I told you I would. Time I to put your money where the mouth is. Haven't yeah. signed up yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then he thought it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. that was so embarrassing. Okay. I texted Ooh. our coaches. Yeah. Because I was supposed to coach CrossFit classes that I had told someone else that I would cover. Right. So I texted everyone that night, hey, guys, I, I really want to take this firearm course tomorrow, but I signed up for classes. I'm really sorry. Can anybody take these? So I had a coach text me aside from it. And he's like, well, if you could coach the 8 o'clock, I'll jump in halfway through the 8, and then I'll cover 8.30, you know, yeah. 8.30 to 10 so that you can do that course. Yeah. And then I go to sleep, and I wake up, and I see my text, and it was my brother-in-law, and he's like, or maybe it was you. Someone was like, hey, it's not till Thursday. <laughs> I had changed <laughs> A whole kid's schedule, and uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, it, it's exciting. So I, I'm trying to do a lot more instruction, you know, moving forward. I, I've started my own company now, and, and uh, I always wanted to do, you know, firearms instruction. I loved it when I was in the military. I've instructed all over the world. That was one of the things I got to do uh, in Special Forces. And uh, I've got a, I've gotten to compete in a number of different countries, and uh, you know I'm I'm passionate about it because I want people to be empowered. You know we talk about you know being empowered and and all of that. Uh, I I love seeing people take take control of their own safety. You know, and and maybe you're you're not one of those people who wants to carry a gun all the time. Maybe you just want to be safe around guns, you know? Come take a class, you know? Go take a class uh, and learn how to be safe around guns because it's part of American culture. They're around. And, yep. you know, you can tell yourself they're not, but they are. So learn to be safe with them. Uh, teach your kids to be safe with them. And um, so I love teaching. I love seeing people grow. I love seeing people become empowered and 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 more effective and seeing their confidence grow. Um, I do love teaching fundamentals and the basics and uh, I try to have some fun along the way doing it. We did have fun in my class. We did have fun, yeah. it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was really fun watching you like crushing targets. I'm shooting this way is better This the best now. I've ever shot. Yeah, and I was it like, is. Well, okay, well then it's great. Um, so now I don't have to drive down to Utah to do it. We yeah. made you drive up here. Yeah, so. 
<laughs> have targets will travel. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> that would yeah. be a viral Instagram post. Yeah. No. Yeah. And with your company, you man, you're gonna have to start running that social media. Well, you are. Yeah. Like your personal social media is awesome. Yeah, I need to do more. I've been pretty absent for for a while. Um, but uh, so I started my own company. And real quick, I'll I'll, I'll explain a little bit about yeah. the name. And so I call it Drakar Collective. And uh, Drakar is a Viking longship. And so if you look at me, it's going to be hard to believe, but I have quite a bit of Scandinavian uh, ancestry, you know. And it's when when you think about Viking longships, you know, probably the first thing you think about is raiding and burning and you know, pillaging villages and along the whole coastline of Europe. But it was so much more than that for them. It was, it was a way to navigate, you know, cross, cross oceans, to take their culture, to learn new cultures, to create a community that, that was unified in improving their lives. Now, sometimes it was through violent means, but not always. Sometimes they became great traders too, you know, and they were, they were merchants and they had a very massive effect on the world and on their own culture through their ability to travel. And I wanted something that would be more than just me showing up and saying, hey guys, okay, you're holding a gun funny, stop it. You know, uh, I wanted it to be something that would be more like a community of like-minded people who were working towards a unified goal. Because on a Drakar, you know, what was cool about them is they could sail in the open ocean or they could go up rivers. You know, and when you're going up river, everybody had to work together. You're rowing together, you know, and uh, when you're crossing the ocean, people, everybody had jobs and they were working together. So it was a community moving towards a common goal. And when they had to, they could they could get pretty rough and tumble. Yeah. You know, so I really like that. So that was that was kind of the goal. So throwback to my Swedish and and. Uh, and Norwegian ancestry, and also the just the imagery of you know a community that can work together and when push comes to shove can be pretty vicious. That's really cool. Um, where can people find that? So uh, my my Instagram is is where I'm doing a lot of the advertising. I have a website that's being built. Uh, my friend kind of started building it for me without telling me about it. Um, so it's a uh, Looks pretty good. I, I blush sometimes Looks when I really look good. at it. I'm like, holy cow. Um, calm down. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, oh, awesome. But there's a lot of work to be done on that as far as setting up events and, and things on there. But most of my stuff is either on Practice Score. You can look for uh, Drakar Collective um, or on my uh, Instagram. Cool. And you can always reach out to me. And uh, like I said, like he said, uh, I'm, I'm here. He asked me to come out here, so I'm here. Um, and if you can set up uh, a location and uh, a group, I'm I'm super happy to come out. What is your Instagram, Kirk Holmer? Kirk Holmer. Okay. Yeah. Facebook, it's Shooter Freedom, but that's a that's a story for another podcast. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to hold you to it. <laughs> Sounds political. Yeah. <laughs> not not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear it. Um, I appreciate it, um, Matt. I appreciate you. Just appreciate you guys, and uh, yeah. we'll we'll throw this out online. Let's get some people. What's the name of your website? 
Is there a, a URL yet? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, he he set it up as kirkholmer.com. So okay, cool. There's there's work to be done there. He's all. It's a cool looking website. It, no, that's cool. It's a like it might feel weird to have your name on stuff. Yeah. But also you've had a pretty great journey getting to where you're at. So you know just yeah, you got to tell your story. Yeah, my yeah. like my advice, not knowing you super well, would just be own it. <laughs> Owen Kirk Homer. Oh. It's, it's cool. You have a yeah. great story and you have a lot to teach the world. So Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, we'll see guys. you guys soon. Thanks. Awesome.